dangerous prayers. Well, this has made me think about the different expressions that we use in relation to the heart. Sometimes we can talk about a person being tender-hearted or hard-hearted. You can have a kind or a generous heart, a cold or a warm heart. You can have a heartache, a broken heart. You can lose heart. And you can even wear your heart on your sleeve. Of course, we know that we're not referring to what's going on in the central organ of our body that keeps us all ticking along, are we? But we are referring to what's going on inside us that makes us then and contributes to the person we are. And likewise, the Bible makes many, many references to the heart as being the governing centre of our inner life that then reflects the core of who you are and who I am. And so Proverbs 4.23 actually says this, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. And that brings us to what we're thinking about this morning, David's prayer in Psalm 139. Search me, God, and know my heart. Now, why would you want to pray such a prayer? I mean, David does highlight throughout the whole psalm that the creator God does know. The big picture, the smallest detail, in fact, every single minute detail about our lives, even before we were born. Absolutely nothing is hidden for him, from him. Everything is just transparent. There are no secrets. And so God knows us in a very personal and intimate way. So if that is the case that God knows, why this prayer? I suppose the question might be, but do we know who we are? Who we really are? Now you might be thinking, well, I've lived with myself long enough, so I should know by now. But how well do we know ourselves from God's viewing point? The one who does, after all, have 2020 vision and who very much looks on the heart. And the other question would be, how willing are we to actually see ourselves from God's viewpoint? Because that is exactly what David is praying here. He's asking God to examine, to inspect, to scrutinize his inner life, and then to reveal what he sees and finds. So this prayer is certainly not for the faint-hearted. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is anything offensive in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Search, test, see, lead. These are really specific and very searching requests. So if we should take this prayer on board, isn't that like deliberately exposing and placing yourself under God's CT scan that then gives us a picture of everything going on in our lives and anything that might be malfunctioning or unhealthy is then detected and highlighted to us? Does that sound comfortable? No. 
could be quite painful. In fact, it might seem much easier to just avoid this prayer, just live not knowing what God sees. Keep things as they are, I mean, why delve deeper? Because it might be difficult to face up to the truth of what is revealed. And furthermore, and I think this is the crunch, it could involve some spiritual surgery, even a change of heart. So isn't this all a bit risky? On the other hand, could such a prayer actually be critically important for us? Very beneficial and life-changing? In this psalm, David, from his own personal experience, had discovered that God really knew him and that nothing is ever hidden. He testifies to that at the very beginning of the psalm. He says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. So David is saying, Lord, you have searched me. You do know me. And yet significantly at the end of the psalm, David continues to pray this prayer, to ask God to keep on checking on his heart and life. So did David, through experience, discover the real importance of this prayer, the benefit of having a spiritual and health check with God? This is David, the chosen and the anointed king, you will remember, of Israel. He was God's representative to the people. And yet his sinful behaviour did not represent God, nor was it acceptable to him. Sin never is to a holy God. It grieves, it offends, and it actually damages the relationship both with him and with others. David's sinful behaviour was symptomatic of the problem within David's heart. The condition of David's heart, his inner life, was exactly what Jeremiah the prophet described in Jeremiah 17, 9 to 10. He says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Gosh, isn't that a drastic and a bit of a terminal diagnosis of the condition of the human heart, deceitful and beyond cure? Was that Jeremiah just having a bad day? No, because Jesus absolutely agrees with him. When Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, and you will remember that they were always very concerned about the external, Jesus points out and describes very specifically the internal problem of the heart. In Mark 7, 21, he says this, For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. And Jesus describes some of what can come out. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils, said Jesus, come from inside and defile a person. The word defile means pollutes, contaminates. The message version translates this as 
These are like vomit coming out of the heart. There is the source of the problem. It's not a pretty picture, is it? And none of us, none of us are exempt from this problem and condition of the heart. It is in our DNA. So what did God see when on one occasion particularly he searched David's heart and he discovered, David discovered the truth? Have you ever looked closely at a spider's web? I'm sure you have. They can appear beautiful. Some are intricately formed and really attractive, but not for the fly who gets caught up and entangled in it. David's heart had become entangled by his adulterous and murderous actions that caused damage to himself, to others, and to his relationship with God. What had been going on in David's heart that we can learn about? What caused him to go so badly off track? A beautiful married woman. He liked what he saw. His thoughts and his heart became filled with desire. The desire became fueled with temptation. And then he acted to fulfill that desire, to get basically what he wanted. He slept with her. And then an entangled web of deceit followed, of manipulation and manoeuvring, to cover up the truth, especially when he was informed that Bathsheba was pregnant with his child. It's the kind of story that would hit the newspaper headlines today, especially if, like David, a public, well-known public figure was involved. And yet, none of us can actually point the finger because we all have a problem with the condition of the heart. We are all capable of sinful behaviour and, like David, capable of wanting to cover up the truth and capable of deceiving ourselves. David began living with a veneer of pretense and denial in relation to his behaviour and he seemed oblivious to the condition of his heart until until God graciously sent Nathan the prophet to come alongside David. And then David saw what God could see in his life and in his heart. Painful? Very. To face up to the truth and the consequences of his behaviour and discovering that sin can never be brushed under the carpet and ignored God cannot turn a blind eye. Sin will at some point be brought to the surface, into the light, to be dealt with. God desires truth in our innermost being. Yes, a painful experience for David to be searched by God, but it did result in a positive outcome for his life. You see, a loving father takes no pleasure in seeing his child walk away from him on a harmful pathway. And when faced with the truth, David takes ownership and responsibility for his behaviour. He responds to the Spirit of God and the grace of God at work in his life to change his heart. And in this psalm, I think David powerfully expresses the realisation that God's watchful, all-loving presence absolutely embraces and encircles his whole life not because God wants to catch him out, point the finger and have a go at him, but because God loves him and desires above all else that David should be a man 
who lived like a man after God's own heart and for him to be led in the way everlasting. Search, test, see, lead, I think became a really important prayer from David's heart to the heart of God in keeping an honest, open relationship with his heavenly father who loved him. And then in the New Testament, well, this story did hit the headlines in the early Christian church, and it understandably filled the believers with the fear of God when he searched the hearts of two people in their community and the truth was exposed. God does take sin very seriously and within the life of his church. This was the first Christian community of believers who had experienced the grace of God at work in the death and resurrection of Jesus. They had received the free gift of his salvation and the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit coming in to live in their lives. The church, the body of Christ, was being birthed and it was exciting times. It was the beginning of God's vision, which is still what we are part of today, of building us together into a holy temple to glorify and honour him. And in Acts 4.32 we read, all the believers were one in heart and mind, except for one couple. And it became very apparent that they were not of one heart and mind in their relationship with God, nor with other believers. In fact, they were completely out of sync. So what did God see when he searched the hearts of Ananias and Sapphira? Well, he saw an offering of deceit being brought into the temple courts, placed at the feet of the apostle Peter as an offering of worship to God. This couple had colluded and deliberately agreed to lie, to deceive, and to put on a show of pretense that they were giving all the money that they'd received from the sale of a field they owned, when in truth, they were just giving part of it. This wasn't about their field, nor was it about their money, but it was about what was going on in their heart in this offering of a worship offering to God. In Acts 5, 3, Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? I think that must have freaked Ananias out, discovering that the truth was now known. I don't know where this couple were in their relationship with Jesus, but their hearts were certainly not in a good place. Peter said, what made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. What made you think of doing such a thing? Well, they proudly thought that they would enthrone and elevate themselves before God and the other believers. Look how great we are. Look what we're giving. Look how spiritual we are. They were promoting themselves. It was a form of self-worship and they were prepared to live the lie. It was like treating God with utter contempt. It was an insulting, offensive offering, undermining him and his church. Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. That means he won't be made a fool of. A person reaps what they sow. 
And the sudden death of this couple, well, it sent shockwaves, didn't it, through the believers. And it probably still makes us stop and think very seriously today. It's as if God drew the line to stop and prevent what was a deceitful poison polluting his name and his church that he had given the life of his only son for. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Another translation says, Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. So what sh shape is your heart and mine in before God today? We have seen both with David and Ananias and Sapphira that God knows and sees the condition of the human heart. We have seen that he is the all-knowing, all-loving God whose presence does encircle each one of our lives. And he is the only one the only one who can get to the heart of the problem, the only one who can touch and impact our lives to bring change from the inside out. Are we prepared for him to do a work in our hearts? Are we willing for him to search, test, see, lead us in God's way? Are we willing to become a people after God's own heart? You see, God's work in our inner life begins the moment we bow the knee at the cross of Jesus and hand over our sinful hearts and lives to him. And we receive this amazing free gift of new life. The Bible calls it a new heart that Jesus gives and the Holy Spirit who comes to live within us. And I think when that happens, a sign is placed over us that says, God is at work here. Philippians 1, 6, he has begun a good work in you and he will bring it to completion. And it's really important that we notice that it is a good work that God wants to do in us. It's no coincidence, is it, that the Holy Spirit who lives in us is called the Holy Spirit because the good work that he wants to do is a work of producing holiness right at the core of my being and your inner life. One writer describes this as the renovation of the heart begins. Isn't that a lovely phrase? The renovation, it sounds like a building project, but in a way there's a similarity. It's the reshaping, the renewing and the building of our inner life into the character and the likeness of Jesus. This is what being a disciple is all about. Yes, it will be challenging and yes, it can be painful because it will involve us dying to live. Dying to what is ungodly, unholy in our lives and taking on board the Jesus character and the Jesus life, holiness. And of course, the challenge we all face as Christians is that these old unholy programs are still running in our inner life. Wouldn't it just be great to press a button and uninstall and delete them all, all at the same time. Let's uninstall and delete the habit of the quick temper or the seething that can go on within. Let's uninstall the critical words or the judgmental attitude, the comparing, the competitiveness, the envy, the jealousy, and so on. These habits will be different for each one of us. 
But we know it's not as quick and as easy as that, is it? But it is a process that we are to be involved in with God. John Mark Comer in his book puts it this way. We all have a gap between who we are and who God is, between the way we live and the way of Jesus. Following Jesus is about closing that gap one step at a time. We do have a responsibility in our relationship with God to cooperate with him, with him in minding the gap. And this is not about, oh, I'm going to try harder next time. I will try and improve and do better. It's not about self-effort and striving because we just won't succeed. Nor is it about sitting down with a paper and pen and introspectively trying to make a list of our inner life. I think I could sit for quite a long time, make quite a long list, and then begin to sink under the weight of it. God doesn't want you and doesn't want me to sink. It's about what we saw with David. His prayer, search me and know my heart, is about having and maintaining an open, honest relationship with our Heavenly Father who loves us. And for us, it's about cooperating with the Holy Spirit when he does reveal the truth to us. And he will use different ways to do that. We were reminded about that last week, that God will speak to us through his word. He will speak to us as we spend time in his presence. And the more we focus on the person of Jesus, the more we will see. It may be a trusted Christian friend or a leader who comes alongside you. Or it may be that you experience the boomerang effect. What do I mean? It's when you say something or do something and it comes back to hit you immediately and you think, uh-oh, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. But isn't that a Holy Spirit indicator to stop and to take note that God is at work here, making us self-aware? In whatever way he chooses to speak to us, then it leaves us with a choice. We can ignore it and carry on as usual. We can hide behind a wall of defence, of self-protection and say, well, I'm not perfect, nobody is. That's the way I am. You just have to accept that this is what I'm like. But if we make these kind of choices, then no change will take place in our lives and we will stay exactly as we are. And God doesn't want that. He doesn't want us in a rut and he doesn't want us set in our ways. As someone said, God loves us too much to leave us just as we are. So alternatively, we can just humbly acknowledge the truth of what God has revealed to us in our character. He is the spirit of truth. And what I love is that he graciously does not accuse. He does not condemn us. Instead, he reveals. He helps us to see what he sees. He convinces us and convicts us of truth. And when that happens, we are being given a God-given opportunity to cooperate with closing the gap. And I would suggest that the first step is to come and confess the truth and receive the forgiveness and to wash clean again at the cross of Jesus. The second step is to commit to change to reach out and ask for his grace to reshape and change that aspect of your character that God has just talked to you about. 
and to ask for the Holy Spirit to produce the character of Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit that we read about in Galatians. And when we respond to him in this way, then we are beginning to walk as the Spirit leads us, walking forward. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is anything offensive in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. The prayer begins with search me, and it goes forward to lead me, God, in your ways. Is this a dangerous, risky prayer? Yes. Is this a really important prayer for us on our journey of being disciples of Jesus? Yes. It's the journey described in 2 Corinthians 3.18 of being transformed from the inside out into the image and the increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And just think about it. When our lives are placed in the hands of an all-loving Father, then we are in the safest hands possible. We can trust him. We can open our lives and our hearts to him, to all that our loving Father wants to do in us and through us, his good work. Shall we pray together? Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you because we acknowledge who we are and we acknowledge who you are. But we thank you so much for your gracious, loving presence that just encircles our entire lives. And we thank you that you want to do a good work in us and through us. And so help us both today and in the coming days in our relationship with you to just maintain that openness, that honesty, that accountability so that we can gaze upon your presence and receive from you and the character of Jesus all that you want to do in us and through us. And I just sense, Lord, it's a bit like a flower that chooses to be open to the sunshine. Help us to open our lives to the beauty and the warmth of your love and your presence, to do all the changing, all the producing of the fruit of your spirit, so that we can honour and glorify you in and through our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>